In chapter 1, <clears throat> we're actually really going to uh, primarily be in chapter 2, but kind of get a uh, kickoff here in chapter 1, and then we will launch from there. <clears throat> Been looking for the last several weeks at uh, the thought of being established, and certainly in uh, times where our culture seems to be on shaky ground, I'm glad that we can come back and be established on the Word of God, aren't you? And uh, we sure praise the Lord for that. Um, Vanessa and I were talking last night, and she said, I just don't know how uh, so many people can be so easily uh, confused about so many different things, and not just the uh, different elements with the coronavirus. Some of that none of us uh, have known for a little while until more data came out on what was going on. Uh, but there's so many things in our culture, so many things in our country that we look at, and certainly from a Christian viewpoint, we begin to wonder, how is it that anybody could, uh, for instance, vote for someone that they know is going to try to put babies to death before they're born? I mean, that just doesn't really make sense. How does that come to the place that uh, people are okay with that, and that they see it as not being a life when they can feel movement and, and all these things. And, uh, and you just wonder, how do we get to the place where we are so depraved, where we are so far from a solid foundation that we uh, don't understand uh, things as simple as life in the womb or as simple as uh, male and female created he them. And, and, and I'm glad when we have the Bible, we have something to come back to and we have a verse like that. We can say, no, we do understand. We do understand uh, the difference of male and female and there's not 365 or whatever it is out there now, genders. And uh, we understand, I don't even know how you come up with that many words to call a gender. And uh, we do understand that there's life in the womb because we have Bible to come back to we do understand there's right and wrong that really has nothing to do with how we feel about it, but it has to do only with the Word of God. And it gives us a sure foundation for the everyday things of life. And uh, as we come to this, I'm so glad that we can be established in the Word of God. And that's really what it is. The last several weeks here, uh, how do we be established in these different areas? How does God use them in our lives? But really it all comes back to being established in and by the Word of God. And as we look at that today, we're going to look at it from this perspective that God wants to establish us through sorrow. He wants to establish us through sorrow. You say, Pastor, I'm uh, dealing with a, a difficult situation, maybe more than even just a difficult situation, more than just a uh, pandemic that's affecting the world, but this is a crisis situation in my life personally. What do we do? How do we look at the crisis situations of life? And that's really what we see here in this passage. Jonah chapter 1, and we're just going to read one verse to kind of get us started. Jonah chapter 1, verse number 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Father, I pray that you'd give exactly what we need. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts today. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You might say, Pastor, I mean, uh, we know the story. Of course, Jonah got swallowed by the whale. We've been hearing that since we were uh, children and maybe even children that didn't grow up in church. I mean, everybody's heard the story. Uh, everybody knows what happened. And we all know he's about to get spit back out on the shore and he's going to go preach and great revival's going to break out. And, and I mean, we all know the story. So, uh, I mean, what's the big deal about this? But imagine for a minute that you don't know the story and your name is Jonah. 
And all of a sudden, uh, you come to the situation of life where you have been running and you have been uh, uh, moving away from God and you know that you're in a crisis situation. You're in a place where uh, you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. Imagine he knew that he's in trouble with God. Now in just a matter of moments, he's come to the place where he's told these sailors, you're going to have to throw me overboard. And finally they've come to that conclusion that it's the only way. So they pick him up in the midst of a wild storm that's so bad that it's scaring seasoned sailors, men who have been through much, uh, well not much worse apparently, but uh, been through storms before on the high seas. They pick him up and throw him into the raging sea. And before he has time to feel the cold swell of the sea on his face, he's engulfed by the cavernous mouth of this whale. And the first water he really begins to get to is the water in the belly. And all of a sudden, if you're there and you just went from running from God on a ship to the belly of the whale and you're entrapped in this place, that's a pretty good crisis. (laughs) Amen? And when you know the outcome, you look at it and say, Jonah, don't worry. I mean, it's three days and three nights. You're going to be fine. But when you don't know the outcome and you know God's mad at you and you know God prepared this fish apparently to swallow you and you know that you're there and apparently you've made God mad enough, he's decided to either drown you or kill you by acid. And and, I mean, the time has come, judgment has fallen. As far as Jonah knows, this is the end. There's no hope, there's no escape, there's, uh, this is the end. And so for Jonah, this is a major crisis of life. You might say, Pastor, I may not be where Jonah is, but I understand the, under, the, the, uh, the emotion of being in that crisis. I understand what it is to be engulfed by a crisis. And so I ask you this morning, when you find yourself in the midst of a life-altering, head-spinning crisis, how do you respond? Because that's where Jonah is. Can you imagine what must have been racing through his mind as he's sitting in this whale for those first few moments? I mean, just a minute ago, I was in a ship. Just a minute ago, I could see the rain falling. Just a minute ago, I, I, I had people around me. And now, I mean, his head must have been spinning. I'm all alone. I'm in, an, I'm in a fish. I'm not just in a fish, but we're heading down to the bottom of the ocean, as far as I can tell anyway. I mean, where I at least had people around. Maybe they weren't friends, but they were at least people around. Now there's total loneliness and hopelessness. I mean, you can imagine what must have started coming through Jonah's mind as he's here in this situation. It's very interesting. Jonah was more willing to die than he was to get right with God. Isn't that interesting? I mean, maybe God told him that uh, if they would throw him overboard, that God would calm the sea. But there's no evidence of that in the passage. It it very well may be. Jonah just said, hey, just throw me out there. Maybe God will go ahead and calm the storm because he's really after me. He understood where God was working, what God was doing. But he wasn't willing to get right. It's interesting. If you go back to chapter 1, verse number 6, just to kind of come up to chapter 2 again here. But in verse number 6, so the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Isn't it interesting, in chapter 1, verse number 6, six verses into the book, Jonah, the man of God, has already run from God, and now a lost shipmaster is coming to him who really has no relationship with God and saying, hey, won't you at least pray? No evidence that he did. Look down to verse number 14. Wherefore they cried... The they right there, that's the, not just the shipmaster, that they, those are the ship 
workers. These are the uh, sailors. These are the lost, ungodly sailors. They cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. So they're calling to Jonah's God, the true God, lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So now the, the lost man comes to Jonah and says, Hey, Jonah, why won't you pray? Now we find Jonah has not had any evidence of prayer, but now the sailors, these lost men, are praying to Jonah's God, the one true God. And as they come to God, they now are begging him for, uh, really, forgiveness, and they're coming to him in this right spirit. And then in verse number 17 that we've already read, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. There's no evidence. Jonah never prays. Jonah never tries to get, he just said, yeah, just throw me out. Really, I'd rather go out there and die in the waves than deal with God anymore. Lost men are willing to deal with his God, but Jonah's not willing to deal with his God. So here comes Jonah, and you can kind of see why maybe God allows a crisis situation in his life, amen? I mean, Jonah wants nothing to do with him. He's already really had a crisis situation in this, uh, this storm in the ship. And I want you to see this morning quickly five stages of, in God's use of crisis to cultivate Jonah's heart, because that's really what God wants to do. He just wants to cultivate the heart of Jonah. So he's going to bring him through five different stages, and he's going to use this crisis to bring him along. First of all, I see Jonah's cry. As we get into chapter 2, we come to verse number 1. It says, then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God. Isn't that interesting? Now, finally, Jonah's at the place to pray. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. I, I see Jonah's cry. Look at verse number two. He said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Two times in verse number two, it uses that word cried. Jonah's not just praying a simple prayer. Uh, Jonah's not giving some flowery, formal, emotionless ritual of a speech and, and, and going through and saying, well, uh, I did my Hail Marys. Uh, he's not coming through with some idea that he's just saying words. And while we may not do Hail Marys as Baptists, we can be guilty of ritualistic praying if we're not cautious. We can be guilty of just uh, coming, I think it's a good thing to have a prayer list, but if we're not careful, we can just talk through a list instead of really speaking to our God. If we're not careful, we can go through a uh, time of, well, it's my devotions, and I just have to pray, and we just have some uh, prayer that we speak to the Lord, but there's really no heart, there's really no emotion, there's really uh, nothing deep to it. Could you imagine if our spouses were that way? Could you imagine if your spouse came to you every day and said, all right, I'm going to read this list to you. It's just a list of names. Hey, uh, uh, I would really like for you to think about our missionaries, the booths, and I would like for you to think about uh, the needs they have and the missionaries, the slides. They have a need, and I'd like for you to think about, wouldn't that get old real fast? Hey, we don't want our spouse to come give us a list. They may have a list of things to talk about, but we want to know their heart. And that's how God is. God wants us to come with a heartfelt relational, we're coming to talk to him, not to just pray a prayer. And so here uh, is Jonah. Jonah has not even been willing to pray so far. Lost men are praying, but Jonah won't. Now he comes to the belly of the whale. Now Jonah begins to pray from the belly of the whale. But now he's not just praying. Verse 2 tells us twice, he's crying unto the Lord. You know, sometimes God has to bring us to the place of crying out to him 
before we really come to the place of praying like we should be. And that's exactly how he uses crisis in our life. And, and so we see Jonah's reaction to the situation. He prayed and then he cried out to the Lord. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 7, you know the verse. When you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. God says, I'm not interested in your much speaking. I'm interested in knowing the heart. I'm interested in you coming and having a relationship with me. So we see here that Jonah prayed. He cried out to the Lord and his prayer was not in vain. Crisis has a way of changing us from uh, an emotionless repetition to a powerful cry. God is not impressed with flowery speeches. He is interested in fervent, sincere prayer. So we see here, first of all, Jonah begins to cry out. We see Jonah's uh, uh, response here or reaction to the situation. And then we notice Jonah's response to sorrow. He turned to God when he'd been running from God. Uh, He didn't want to pray because he wanted nothing to do with the Lord. But now that's exactly where he turns. Jonah's response was based solely on the fact that he's in a crisis. Look at verse number two again. He said, I cried by reason of mine affliction. If it wasn't for affliction, he never would have cried like this. And God knew it. And here's Jonah admitting it. I didn't cry because I was so in love with God. You ever been there where uh, maybe the relationship isn't what it should be? And by the way, if we've been saved very long and we're honest, we've all been there where our relationship is not what it should be with the Lord. You ever be, get in a place where you're just kind of in a rut and God allows something to come into your life and all of a sudden we cry by reason of affliction? Oh, we're not coming because we're just such great Christians and we have everything all figured out and we just have such a perfect heart for God that never strays. No, we're coming because, Lord, you brought this into my life. And then sometimes is when we start to realize, wait, I guess I was a little bit, I'd strayed a little further than I thought. I thought I was doing good. I thought, I mean, I wasn't like I was just trying to run from God like Jonah. But man, I needed that crisis to into the place to cry out to my God in relationship to him. And so he cries by reason of his afflictions. Uh, sometimes sorrow is a part of chastening. Sometimes sorrow is, a, is cultivating. And so sometimes God uses the, uh, the trial of life, the real deep things. He uses these problems sometimes as chastening because of sin, because we've walked away from him. That's Jonah. Sometimes God uses the trial of life not really as chastening, but as cultivating the heart. Uh, Think about Job. Job had prayed beforehand. Job was not the picture of somebody who wouldn't pray. He prayed every day. And he prayed consistently. Not only did he pray, but he prayed regularly. He prayed rightly. Uh, He was somebody who was constantly, consistently working on his relationship with God, concerned about his children's relationship with God. I, I mean, you look at Job and you say, what a man. And that's before the trial. And then God brings the crisis situation into his life, and Job in the middle of it, Job 43, he said, but he knoweth the way that I take, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Why? Because God was not bringing into Jonah's life uh, the, the uh, chastening, he was just bringing into, excuse me, into Job's life, he was not bringing chastening, he was just cultivating Job, you're already right with me, but let me bring you to a deeper walk. 
Wouldn't Paul said uh, that he had the fellowship of his sufferings? You know, sometimes we need the fellowship of his suffering. It's not God being harsh and mean. It's actually God being good and loving. And he brings us to a depth of relationship we could never get to apart from that deep sorrow. And so here we see that God uh, brings into Job's life uh, a, a cultivating crisis. We see that he brings into Jonah's life a chastening crisis. But God is using, using the crisis in each of their lives. We see here Jonah. And first of all, we notice Jonah's cry. Secondly, I noticed this morning Jonah's condition. Look at verse number three. He says, for thou hast cast me into the deep, into the midst of the sea. Look down at verse number four. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. I see here, first of all, Jonah's condition. We're really looking at how he feels here, his emotional condition. First of all, he says, I was cast out. Now, we know God never actually cast him out, but Jonah here, emotionally, he's saying to the Lord in prayer, look, you have cast me away, you've cast me out, you want nothing to do with me. Now, we would look at the story from a New Testament perspective, from a perspective of being able to read the whole story, and we'd say, Jonah, God didn't cast you out, you ran from him. <laughs> Jonah, I mean, wake up. But Jonah's saying to God, look, I made a mistake, and then you just cast me out, that's how I feel. You ever felt that way? You ever felt like uh, maybe somebody in your family just cast you out or somebody at church just cast you out or somebody that you care about, it, it just feels like you're a castaway, you're cast out, uh, or, or sometimes maybe even God himself, and, and it feels in our emotion like, Lord, you've just cast me out. And can I say to you, it's okay to come to God and say that to him. God didn't rebuke Jonah. He allowed Jonah to come and say, Lord, this is how I feel. And the reality is God does not expect us uh, to just handle everything perfectly all the time. He expects us to handle it right. We come to him. But God knows our weakness. He's been tempted at every point like as we are. But even beyond that, he created us. And he understands how frail we are. And he understands how frail our emotions are that he gave us. And so it's okay to come to the Lord and not pray a perfect prayer and just come to him as Jonah is here, honestly, just saying, Lord, this is how I feel. In this moment, I just feel like you don't want anything to do with me. I feel like uh, uh, nobody cares, and I feel like I've been cast out. And, and so it's okay when we're there to come. Now, it's not okay to have a pity party for a month. <laughs> Amen? Or 10 years. And, and so we need to come to the Lord, and we need to get it taken care of. We need to come to the Lord, and we need to say, Lord, uh, he's given us an avenue to handle this right. I'm coming to you in prayer. But, Lord, I'm not going to harbor this for 10 years either. I, I'm coming to you to deal with it. So Jonah feels here like he's been cast out. Then not only that, in verse number 3, he says, not only cast out into the deep, the first part of the verse. <coughs> pardon me. He says, in the midst of the seas, and the floods come past me about. I see Jonah says, I'm cast out, and then I'm compassed about. He says it again in verse number five, uh, that, that he was compassed, uh, the waters compassed me about. Here's what he's saying. I felt like I'm just cast out, nobody cares, and then I'm overwhelmed, I'm encompassed, I'm compassed about by the storm. I'm, in, I, I'm compassed about by the waves. I'm compassed about by the situation of life. So not only have, do I feel as though I've been cast out, but I feel completely overwhelmed by this. You ever been there in a crisis? <laughs> Lord, I feel like I'm, I, I don't have the 
the help that I need. There doesn't seem to be any hope of overcoming this. I'm overwhelmed by it. Verse number five, he says, uh, the waters compassed me about even to the soul. Then notice that next phrase, the depth closed me about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. He says, I was cast out, I was compassed about, and then I was closed out. I was closed out and I was closed off and I had no way of having a a relationship to any other person. I had no way of getting out of the situation. I had no way of finding help or peace or comfort. I was cast out. I was compassed about. I was closed off. Then verse number 60 takes it even further. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. He says, finally, I was confined completely. I mean, somebody gets put in the jail that is made by man, and there's always hope that maybe uh, the fellow bank robber can bust you out. Amen? Don't go try it, but there's always hope. But when he got put into the jail God designed for him, he said, there's no hope of escape. I'm down at the base of the mountain. I'm down at the, the bottom of the mountains that's down under the water here. I'm down at the bottom of the sea, is what he's saying. There is no hope. The, the earth with her bars, I mean, I am, I am not closed in by the physical bars covering a window. I am not covered in uh, like I would be in the, the worst prison of the day. I am covered in at this point. I am in a crisis to the place where there's absolutely no chance of escape because it's God who placed me in this spot. And there's no hope. He's speaking of his, out of his emotion here, and he says, I'm cast out, I'm compassed about, I'm closed off, and I'm confined completely, there's no hope. By the way, let me just say as kind of a side note, seclusion is the worst enemy of a sheep. Sheep need to be in their uh, flock. Sheep need the fellowship with one another. Sheep need the uh, voice of the shepherd and the leading of the shepherd. Sheep have a vital need for that. And we understand that's why God compares us to sheep. Uh, The greatest enemy of the sheep is seclusion. When a sheep gets off by himself, they say they can only see a few feet out in front of them. And they have the tendency to walk into places they ought not walk or to walk right off of cliffs or whatever it might be. Uh, They're not uh, the most brilliant of animals. (laughs) Isn't that why God picked me to be like a sheep? And uh, I mean, really the reality of it is that you look at sheep and you say, you know, uh, the sheep is in desperate need of protection. When that sheep gets off alone, he's easy prey for a wolf and he's easy prey for a lion or a a bear. I, I mean, it's no problem for them to come and take that sheep when it gets alone. Seclusion is the worst enemy of the sheep. Therefore, seclusion is the preferred strategy of the predator. What does a predator do? Practically speaking, they try to come in and cut off the little lamb away from the flock. So it's easy prey. What does the predator do that we battle, the devil himself? He tries to come in and get a sheep cut off from the flock. One of the great dangers of all this uh, coronavirus stuff that has gone on that uh, certainly no one in our world would understand, but we understand as a church, is the potential for seclusion. For people to step away, especially in a time of transition anyway in our church, uh, that, that there can be uh, those who can get cut off from the flock and then they become easy prey for the enemy. And we have to do a good job as a church family and, and really it's all of us laboring together to try to help that nobody gets secluded, that nobody gets cut off, that they don't become prey for the enemy because seclusion is the preferred strategy of the predator. 
Satan in a time like this is doing all that he can to bring division into every church. He's doing all that he can to find somebody who will just get upset with somebody else so he can cut them off and so that he can put a little bit of distance there so that he can use that distance to widen the gap so that he can destroy their lives. Remember, he is seeking whom he may devour. He's working at that. He's laboring at that. He's walking uh, literally amongst the church members of our church. Uh, Maybe not the devil. In fact, probably not the devil himself, but certainly has plenty of help. uh, Walking and saying, who can I cut off from the flock? Where can I get some seclusion so I can destroy their life? By the way, he doesn't just play to damage, he plays to destroy. And, and so the uh, seclusion is the worst enemy of the sheep, and therefore it is the preferred strategy of predators. We've got to be careful we don't get to that place where we're totally secluded. What happens is we get uh, to the place where we get hurt, and sometimes not because God puts us there, but by our own choice, we say that I'm just going to come over here in my own little corner. And as soon as we do that, Satan says, good. Now I can work to destroy and to devour. We've got to be on guard that when we come to the times of crisis that we don't allow there to be seclusion. I see here, first of all, Jonah's cry. I see, secondly, Jonah's condition. Number three, I see Jonah's conclusions. Verse number four, uh, in each one of these now, he's going to kind of answer it at the end of the verse. Verse four, he says, yet, uh, well, let's read the whole verse. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again Toward thy holy temple. Here's how I see, first of all, a restored look. Jonah says, look, I was totally cut off. I was cast out. I felt like I was alone and nobody, including God, cared. And so here's the conclusion I came to. In a time like that, I need a restored look. And what did he restore his look to? He said, well, I'm going to look toward the holy temple. He doesn't know exactly from where he's at in that whale's belly which direction Jerusalem is. So what he's saying is this, I'm restoring my look. The holy temple, it's the place where God abides. He's saying, I'm going to get my gaze back on the Lord. I'm going to have a restored look and get my view and my focus back on my God. And then I see a reversed lamentation. Verse number six, he's been uh, complaining about all these things for five and a half verses. Verse six, he says, I went down to the bottom of the mountains, the earth with about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption O Lord my God. He puts that past tense. Hast thou brought up. But right now he has not been brought up physically. He's still down there in the belly of the whale. So here's what happens. He cries out to the Lord. He makes really his complaint to God. He says this is my situation. This is how I feel. I'm overwhelmed by this crisis of life. And Lord as I come and speak to you. You are even now reversing that lamentation. You're taking that which is a complaint of my heart. And you're beginning to restore my life. Even while I'm in the middle of the crisis still. Isn't it amazing the power of our God. That while we're in the midst of the crisis. He can restore And while we're in the midst of the crisis, without it stopping, that he can use that crisis in our life. And isn't that exactly what he did for Job? Job came to the place that he was uh, right with God, he was at peace, that he was able to forgive those unkind friends. He was able to do all that before the crisis ever ended. Here's Jonah down in the belly of the whale, and and the crisis is not ended, but the uh, lamentation begins to reverse. So I see a restored look, reverse lamentation. Seven, he says, when my soul fainted within me, number one, I remembered the Lord. A restored look, a reverse lamentation, it's because he remembered the Lord. Uh, God never forgot Jonah. Jonah felt like he did, but he never forgot Jonah. But what did happen? 
Jonah had forgotten God. So Jonah's the one, now he's admitting in verse number 7, I've got all these complaints. But you know what the fix to them is? I've got to get back to having a right look. I've got to quit complaining and get back to praising. And really what the problem is, even while I'm in the midst of this whole trial, and for him it was a self-created situation, he said, I've got to get back to remembering the Lord. That must be the focus of my life. His gaze changes. His mind changes. He says, I remembered the Lord. God never forgot him, but he had forgotten to serve God. And then I see a recognized love. Verse number seven, he says, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee into thine holy temple. How does he know that? He's in the belly of a whale at the bottom of the sea. How does he know right now that God's listening when he prays? Didn't he just say, I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like there's no hope. I feel like you've cast me out. Now, just a couple verses later, he says, but you're listening to my prayer. You know what he did when he started getting his gaze back on the Lord? And when he started remembering his God? He remembered something. Oh, yeah, God loves me. Oh, yeah, a recognized love. When I speak to him, he listens. Oh, yeah, even though I'm in the crisis, God is the one who's prepared the crisis, exactly the crisis that needed to come into my life. And so he's listening when I pray to him. Maybe he'll let me die in the belly of a whale, and maybe he won't. But the reality is either way he is good, and either way he's bringing up my soul. He he may not bring up my physical body, but he's bringing up my soul before him, and he's bringing my life back to a restored place with him. And at least I'll die right with God. And, And so here comes Jonah. Now he's saying, I remember the love of my God. I remember he listens when I pray. And I don't have to be in the physical temple of Jerusalem. I can be in the belly of the whale and the prayers will still come into his holy temple, not the one in Jerusalem, the one in heaven. And I can speak to my God and with confidence know that he'll listen to me. Wow, all of a sudden he's having a revival in the belly of the whale, amen? All of a sudden things are getting good. I think Jonah's probably starting to get a little excited. And so here he has a restored look, a reverse lamentation. He remembered the Lord, he recognized the love of God, and then notice a rejected life. Verse number eight, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Isn't that an interesting verse? Jonah says, you know all those people who really don't serve God and don't trust God, all those people that have, uh, as he says it, lying vanities, all those people really cause themselves a lot of problems. They forsake the mercy available to them. You know, he probably should have just gone ahead and put his name in there because we know what he's talking about, amen? Should have said, when I did that... But he says, they, but he's talking about himself. Think about this is the life he's been living. He was living a lie. All this time, he uh, uh, appearing to be somebody of the world. He ran and got on the wrong ship. He's living for this world. He's living for his own desires and his own wants. He got on that ship and he acted like the world. In fact, he wouldn't even pray as well as the world would to the real God. So he's living like a child of the world, when in reality, he's a child of the king. He's living a lie. He's living something that, is, uh, that has no validity to it whatsoever. He claimed to be a man of God, but he's actually running from God. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So first of all, he's living a lie, and then he was living in vanity. He was living for self-will instead of God's will. He was living for a title, the title of being a man of God, not actually living out being a man of God. He's just living for the vanities 
of this world. So he's looking at his life that he's been living, and, and apparently in some kind of a hindsight, he says, you know, when I live, or when they live, when people live for lying vanities, things that really don't fulfill vanity, and they live a lie, things that are not really true, when that happens, they forsake their own mercy. The mercy God's prepared for them. It's not that God doesn't have the mercy. It's that God says, here's this mercy I have prepared. But when we choose to live for this world and we choose to live for ourselves, we say, no, thank you. I'll go figure it out on my own. Keep your mercy. And we forsake the mercy of God for that which seems for a moment to be of greater value. And Jonah looks at that now in hindsight and he says, you know, that was a dumb thing. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to forsake that kind of a life. I'm going back to serving God. I'm going back to getting my eyes on him. I'm going back to being the child of the king. Why would I want to live in that kind of a manner? And then we see Jonah's commitment in verse number nine. But I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. Don't you see his whole prayer has now changed? It went from woe is me to great is God. It went from I'm so discouraged to look how I can't help but praise. I mean, everything about his whole mindset has changed in a matter of nine verses. And, and so we see here, first of all, uh, two thoughts about this commitment, and then we'll give you the final thought. Number one, I see an absence of stipulations. You know what Jonah does not do in verse number nine? He does not say, God, if you get me out of this, there's a total absence of that. He doesn't say, if you spare my life. He doesn't say, if you let me see another human face again. He doesn't say, he just says, I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Lord, I'm the one who didn't do what I was supposed to do. I'm going to get right and I'm going to do it again. And that's all he says. If you let me die in the belly of the whale, fine. If that's your plan. If you let me go to Nineveh, fine. If that's your plan. If you send me back to Jerusalem, fine, if that's your plan. Lord, wherever you want to send me, whatever you want, to, I'm not putting any stipulations. There is an absence of stipulation. He's just simply saying, I will. And then I see an affirmation of sacrifice. The purpose of sacrifice is always to bring glory to God. The promise to sacrifice shows a willing commitment. So here's what he does. He says, I'm willing to commit to worshiping the Lord. And I'll do it regardless of where I am and regardless of my situation. I see the plan for the sacrifice. He says he'll sacrifice with his voice, the voice of thanksgiving. And then I see the profession of the sacrifice. It was a sacrifice of thanksgiving. You might say, Pastor, I mean, is that really a sacrifice? When you're in the belly of a whale, it is. When you're in the midst of the crisis of your life, it is a sacrifice to say, I'm not going to use my voice to complain. I'm not going to use my voice to gossip. I will use my voice for one purpose, and that is to praise, glorify, and give thanks to my God while I'm still in the middle of this crisis. And Lord, there's no stipulation. If you leave me in the crisis, that's fine. I'll just give thanks to you. And Lord, if you remove the crisis, I'll thank you for it, but either way, I'm just going to keep thanking you. And I will give the sacrifice of praise. I will use my lips to praise your name, regardless of anything else, because I'm just going to give the sacrifice of praise. 
It is a sacrifice, and it is a sacrifice every person needs to commit to even this morning. You say, Pastor, I'm not in the middle of a crisis. All right, what about the next time a crisis hits? You know, we ought to right now be saying, Lord, thank you I'm not in a crisis, but I know one's going to come eventually. <laughs> when the crisis hits, I'm committing now. I'm going to use my voice to give thanks to you. You know, it's hard when you're in a crisis to say, Lord, thank you for bringing this into my life. It's hard when that person comes along that becomes a crisis to say, Lord, thank you for bringing that person into my life. It's hard when a situation financially hits to say, Lord, I didn't see this coming, but thank you. I know that you did it for a right reason. Whatever it is that's our crisis, it's hard, but it's worth giving a sacrifice of praise. I see finally here Jonah's cultivation. This was always the whole purpose. God was trying to cultivate the heart of his child. I see that the crisis ended. I see here a principle, this too shall pass. It take heart, all this COVID stuff, it too shall pass. They keep telling us that it'll never be normal again. Eventually, we'll be able to have a normal church service again. And eventually, we'll be able to get back to some elements of normal. Even if the world doesn't, we'll be able to get back to some element of normal as a church. And the reality is there will be a day where we'll look back and say, you remember all that stuff? You remember the drive-in services? Remember when those things were happening? Uh, we'll be able to look back at those things someday. That'll end. Whatever the crisis is in your life, this too shall pass. There will likely be an end to it. Uh, If not in this life, then certainly in the next. Amen? I mean, if we're saved, we know that there's an end date coming. Because it's appointed on the man wants to die. And then after this, the judgment. And we know for us, that's the judgment seat of Christ. And we get to go into heaven for all of eternity. And whatever our crisis is, it's not following us into heaven. Praise God for that. Amen? We have reason to give thanks. Lord, thank you that I don't have to deal with this for eternity. (laughs) I only have to deal with it now. And sometimes the crisis is lifelong, but the reality is that's okay. God, I can thank you because I can find reason because you're good. I see the crisis ended, and our crisis, no matter what it is, it will have an end date. If we're saved, we will be able to enjoy the wonders of heaven. Not only was his heart cultivated, not only did he come to the end of the crisis, but I see the city was entered. Here was the whole plan all along, Jonah, go and preach in Nineveh. So now God brings the whale, spits him out. He goes over and uh, comes into Nineveh. And as he comes into Nineveh, he preaches the message. He's the only preacher ever to get all upset because there's revival when he preaches. But he comes into Nineveh, great revival breaks out. God works and moves. What an incredible story. What an incredible situation. And we know something. Jonah didn't have it all figured out. Jonah didn't have his attitude perfect the rest of his life or even for very long and we understand the end of the story most of us have read it we know the story of all the gourd and all the stuff that's going to go on and here's what we can say even though Jonah wasn't perfected yet God still brought the end of the crisis and he still cultivated his heart and he didn't say Jonah until you're perfect there's no letting up aren't you glad about that because if that was the case we'd all be in trouble God said okay that was that lesson Now let's move to the next lesson. And you know, God brings us to the place, and it may be today, that he's bringing some chastening into our life. You say, Pastor, I'm in a crisis. We've got to ask the question, Lord, is this chastening? Is there something I need to get right with you? Is there somewhere where I've wandered in my heart? Is there somewhere where I'm not thoroughly right with God? And if that's the case, then let me get it right so the chastening can end. I've just got to deal with this. 
It may be that we look at it and we say, you know, it's not that I can't get some things right, but I don't think that it's a matter of chastening. It's a matter I've been serving God and I've been right with God and I've been moving forward in those areas and, and it would appear as though it's just cultivating. This is a cultivating crisis. And God's working in my heart and, and he's just trying to cultivate a deeper and closer relationship with me. You know, if God had not done that for Jonah, if he had not brought the chastening, if he'd not cultivated his heart, they never would have had the relationship that they did. Jonah would have remained completely useless and he'd have run from God. And the souls in Nineveh very well may have been damned for hell for all of eternity. But God used him. And God brought him back to the place for revival and souls were saved and lives were changed and Jonah was useful again. All because God was so merciful and so loving and so kind that he brought a crisis to Jonah's life to get him back to the place where he needed to be. And Jonah said for that, I've learned to be thankful. And you know the reality is that's what God does in our lives. Not because he's a harsh, mean ogre of a God, because he's good and he's loving and he's kind and he says it's better to have a crisis situation that makes you usable so souls can be saved, so lives can be changed, so your purpose can be fulfilled and your relationship with me can be right. And it's the goodness of God that brings the crisis into our life. Have you thanked him for your crisis? Have you come to the Lord and spent time saying, Lord, I'm not asking out of the crisis. I'm just thanking you for the crisis while I'm in the middle of it. And Lord, would you use this if it's chastening, help me to get it right. If it's cultivating, help me to understand how to cultivate that relationship with you deeper than it's ever been so that we can walk through this together no matter how long it may last. And my relationship with you can be what it should be. And all of a sudden, we're established in a deeper relationship with Christ through the suffering, the crisis that he brought into our life. Father, we love